You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, a program geared to support Australian movie image practitioners and their devotees. That means you. Today we offer you a chat with one of the the members of a group called 1856, Nick Tammins. It's a group filling the gap in our society which has been uh, empty of labour-focused art and artefacts. At the moment, on the 1856 website, there is a series of Australian films you can access over May celebrating labour struggles and movers and shakers in the labour terrain. Films such as the wonderful Pat Fisk's feature Rocking the Foundations and Tom Zabriskie's Friends and Enemies, both must-watch films for the devotee of labour stories, not just for the story but the way the story is told, the sophistication and motivations of the filmmakers. So get onto the website and have a view, you won't be sorry. Getting back to the show today, I, I spoke to Nick to find out about 1856, why the name, what are the obsessions of the group and what part film art and art in general plays in the left terrain of politics and culture. First off, uh, let's talk about what you're doing with 1856, what it's all about and why mm-hmm. it's called 1856. Mm-hmm. So I guess just pointing to the title, first of all, um, or the, you know, the name of it, you know, it does reference the establishment of the Victorian Trades Hall in 1856 uh, when stonemasons went on strike at Melbourne Uni. That, of course, being the day in which Melbourne workers established the eight-hour day, which was the first in the world. So, you know, for us, it's it's foregrounding the importance of that date, not only locally, but also as an international thing. And, you know, when I started this program, which, you know, is a program of exhibitions and events, not necessarily at the Trades Hall, but using the Trades Hall as the sort of central location or kind of mothership or at least the centre of our thinking, you know, like all the unions, you know, still come to Trades Hall as that centre of the labour movement, same kind of thing, thinking, you know, just using Trades Hall and the and it's the importance of that building and sort of what it what it means to ask, you know, what it means to talk about culture and to talk about art underneath the roof of that building. And that's really was the sort of beginning gesture of it, I suppose. So 1856, if we can, if we can think of it like a gallery without a gallery or a, yeah. you know, okay. an institution without, without walls. So essentially it's a program. You know, we've done film screenings at Cinematheque. We've done exhibitions at Trades Hall uh, and in other locations. Um, it, it is essentially, 
you know, it's, it's roaming in a certain way. Um, and at the moment, you know, that program is partially online due to, due to the current um, situation. So people can watch, watch films on our website at the moment. If people would like to be updated on that, we do every week and people can su- subscribe via their email. Otherwise, we're more active on Instagram. If people subscribe to the website, we can get updates about the films that are, that are currently there. And, you know, we are, um, we are hosting the current films for the length of the month. So all of May, it's essentially a long May day for us. To celebrate May the 1st, you put up a series uh-huh. of fantastic Australian films. Uh, Friends and Enemies, for example, I remember seeing that in the 80s and it, 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 uh, it was just a, an amazing film to me. And um, so it, it would seem that uh, what you're, one of the things that you're doing is uh, filling a gap, a lay, the gap that uh, the lack of... Uh, um, awareness of uh, films uh, made uh, about working people and about working history. Mm. Yeah, so I guess in general, you know, what what is lacking in Australia is some broader engagement with the cultural history of the working class or the labour movement in general. You know, that isn't really um, reflected by an institution in a strong kind of national sense, or at least in a way where I think demonstrating that it's also a living history. You know, this is a, these are struggles that continue today. You know, one of the unfortunate things was the dissolution of the arts offices in the trades hall of this country. That has sort of been uh, my reason for being in some senses. You know, although I was not elected <laughs> to that position, I am definitely inspired by people like George Selaf, who was in uh, John Hughes's film, Is It Working?, uh, which we showed on May Day, uh, and you can still see now. And, you know, George is inspiring in many ways because he was looking at that crossover between, you know, the arts and access to, you know, what we perhaps call the fine arts, things that are on um, show at the museums or galleries, and, you know, community and working class culture and um, the production of those cultures, things like banners and the kinds of cultural objects that, you know, we produce in our struggle as working people. Uh, perhaps a good example would be um, Hospo Voice last month when they were protesting to be part of the JobKeeper program. People were putting out their aprons and writing messages on them. You know, objects like this, which, you know, should be... Um, preserved and thought of and considered in the same way as, you know, any other um, important cultural object. You know, we're thinking about all that stuff within the same importance and giving it the same kind of value as art. What's your background in, how did you come to this, this work? I mean, I've been working as a curator and um, I went to art school and stuff, but I'm from northwestern Tasmania, like Jackie Lambieville. And um, I've always been in, in unions, always been a part of them. My mum was lifelong ANF kind of thing. Yeah, I guess through student politics and then later through workplace politics as a teacher as well, so I was in the uh, teachers' union and now I'm in NTU, so that side of things, yeah. So so it just seemed like a natural progression to you? Was it a reaction to, yeah, you, to I mean, the fact that people uh, seem to uh, under undervalue the importance of this? In Australian society? Uh, yeah, I think so. But 
also it also came out of a research interest from a curatorial standpoint. Like I was interested in uh, Ian Byrne, who's a conceptual artist, probably one of Australia's most important contributions to international art. 1960s and 70s and you know Ian left New York because he was sort of reached the limit with his art practice and came back to engage engage as a journalist and a designer in the trade union movement and what I was interested in is his production and his output after he was an artist the things he was doing which were like informational slideshows and essays and um, I guess a lot of documenting the cultural um, production and history of the labor movement in Australia. So it was sort of also like, all right, what do you do with that kind of research and how, how do you put it out there? And also there's like models like Mayday Rooms in London, which is um, a really fantastic living archive. You know, they actually have a space and they have archives they look after, but it's a type of place that, you know, smaller unions meet at and you can also use the archives and make appointments and that kind of thing. And they do talks and screenings and, um, yeah, so I've been in touch with them like the last four or five years as well and had a pretty productive relationship. So the idea would be mm. that it's possible to have an effect, uh, help uh, seed uh, a better life, really, through this work. I mean, he must have been thinking that when he became so engrossed in that kind of work. Burn, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's also just like... Well, he also come out of a sort of being disaffected by the art world and the art system, which, you know, it's maybe better now than it was, but it still has a side of it, which is like incredibly commercial or, um, you know, quite a sort of dark um, political <laughs> system, really. Well, that's um, one of my yeah, sisters who's a, a printmaker said, really, they just want paintings mm. that are that size to fit that wall. You know? yeah, 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 exactly. And if you're, you know, if you're coming from a critical art tradition, which Byrne was, and you know, to a degree I am as well, you know, you got to think through the sort of like possibilities. But I mean, you know, now we have like different, you know, we can think about different modes of distribution and production, and essentially that's what I'm doing is, you know, creating a different model, um, something that's somewhere between, you know, an institution like. Australian Centre Contemporary Art and, you know, and a, uh, and a museum of, you know, uh, or, you know, living archive kind of thing, like, like Mayday Rooms. Because I'm working with contemporary artists as well, so there's a space for, like, artists to be able to make projects and react to that kind of thing. And, you know, I think it's important, right, important for me, I'm not only working historically, it's also trying to do stuff that's contemporary. Stream of it, I mean, we're talking about the... the, the the um, sort of labour movement perspective at the moment. But if you think of it like a Venn diagram, I'm also thinking about the art world. And, um, you know, sort of the centre of that is also thinking about the labour conditions of artists and the and the culture industry in general, which is one of the worst organised sectors in the country, as you might know from the last, like, month or two. You have to intervene and say, like, art workers, because people don't think of themselves you know, with the same rights as a regular worker do. And, yeah, a lot of that stuff was pretty pretty palpable in the 80s. It's sort of, like, just gone now, you know. A lot of young people, a lot of people involved in the arts don't know what a union really is, even, because they never really have to deal with it. They're, you know, stuck in this freelancer sort of vortex, and they don't realise that they have, you know, 
they, they should be able to have a, a voice when they're speaking to an institution or working with them and that kind of thing. Well, and there's some good models. When you said that there were some good, uh, better models for uh, art workers, because I remember calling people who were artists art workers in the 80s and uh, continued to do that for quite a while. Um, I, I mean, I don't see that as a novelty. I think that's a really right thing to do because, you know, they're not breatharians or anything like that. What are the other models that you had in mind? I just mean in, uh, models of activism in in the art world. So, like, in uh, in the US, there's been quite a lot going on last few years, sort of in general, in the industry. You know, sort of the unionisation of museum workers, that kind of thing, like the MoMA, um, Museum of Modern Art. Union, for instance, have been really strong. But particularly there's WAGE, which is acronym of um, Working Artists for the Greater Economy. And essentially what WAGE has done has sort of intervened on the issue of artist fees, which there's not really any regulation of artist fees in the US. And they sort of stepped into that role to try and regulate you know, how much people should be getting paid and making sure people get paid. Because often, you know, you might do a gig or you might show work or you might do this or that and you might not get paid for it which is just sort of a common thing you know maybe you get a free book or something like that that happens here too that like although we have NAMA like National Association of Visual Artists they do set fees that you know institutions are supposed to pay and like all that kind of thing but there's no there's no for lack of a better term policing body really there's no one holding institutions accountable. So a lot of the, the activism's been about holding institutions accountable and that kind of institutional reform, which I guess is one kind of battle, I guess, that's ha- that should be happening in the in the industry. But yeah, that's uh, um, suppose, that's been on everyone's mind here. Yeah, mm. I suppose, especially now, people realise what it means not to be entertained and not to have cultural interactions except online we have the benefit and the and the problem of being a very like, much more like democratically socialist state where we have you know we have an arts body that funds a lot of things in the US that don't um, but you know that also means that we're always at the whims of you know government funding and that kind of thing I mean that's also why in a way I'm thinking about almost more 19th century models of civil institutions instead of you know, relying on government funding to also you know, look to trade unions and other kind of other kind of you know, places you know, to support that kind of work. Hi, um, my name's Maya Newell and I made a film called Gaby Baby and recently a film called In My Blood It Runs. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You're with Annie on Showreel. We're in the middle of a chat with Nick Temmins from 1856 a group that works on the left side of art and culture. During May, they have a series of films accessed through the website, 1856, celebrating labour struggles, classic Australian features like Rocking the Foundations and Friends and Enemies. Great films, great to revisit or feel the pleasure for the first time. Anyway, let's continue with our chat with Nick. Tell me about the films that you chose to show on May the 1st. Yeah, so most of these are films um, from the 80s, and this is coming from filmmakers such as Tom Zabricki, who did Kimura Diaries Strike, Amongst Equals, and Friends and Enemies, John Hughes, who did the Silas film. Um, we'll be showing a few more of John's films in the next, uh, in the next few weeks. 
as well as Pat Fisk, who directed the wonderful um, Rocking the Foundations, which is about the history of the BLF, uh, Builders Labourers Federation. Each of those filmmakers were working together around that time. You know, they all know each other. I'm pretty sure they've been involved in each other's productions in different ways. And I think you know what is really interesting is that at that time they're all interested in you know documenting parts of labour movement and parts of those struggles. Kamira and Friends Many Enemies, as you said, are probably some of the better known ones. And then there's uh, Amongst Equals, which really hasn't been seen that much because it was never finished. It was commissioned for the Bicentenary in 1988, but due to some of the political climate at the time, it wasn't ever really finished. The ACTU was one of the main sponsors, but sort of wasn't happy with the production at the time. But, you know, today um, we're happy to be able to show it. And, you know, it, is, it sort of is now one of the quintessential um, documents of the labor movement and we're really happy to be able to share it with people. There's the fact that we can learn a lot about the history of working class struggle in this country, you know, from those films. But I think also importantly is what they do is they also provide an example of things that we can do today. You know, we can make films like this today. There is the possibility to look at the problems in our society in this kind of way, with this kind of lens, you know, of course, the technology has changed, but you know they're there as a um, as a model that I think you know is worth thinking about. And I'd certainly like to see you know more media that engages with such topics and such things. The fact that you're able to show the films is that because the people have done you know like it's uh, you don't they've given you the okay to do that. There's no special who. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I pay them. I pay them like you know for any other screening, basically. Oh, good. Um, and yeah, 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 yeah. Is there some funding for eighteen fifty six? I've received funding sort of from different streams. Um, the other more practical side of it was thinking about how you run a program that's not completely dependent on federal uh, funding. Um, so, um, I do actually receive some, um, funding every now and then, depending on the project from some unions. So United Workers Union has been a big supporter, which is great. And, oh yeah, like one of the people I work with on this project, she is um, a lawyer with them. So that's, that's part of that. But, um, yeah, we do have Australia Council funding, which is just about run out and then, um, I did receive some like state funding as well. But. The um, whole idea of art at work was a very 1980s thing. Uh, and I remember being a young person at the time and being absolutely fascinated by the idea of it wasn't just films, but it was also taking theatre and that uh, unions and people of that sort put money into, like you said, art workers who went and... Uh, um, provided people on the factory floor with experiences, artistic experiences, took art to them, to the work. Art isn't just uh, something for a rare few. Can you talk about why art is so important? What this current time and current climate is showing us is that you know, there there shouldn't be such a division between, you know, or there isn't such a division between our life at home and our life at work. I mean, at the moment, most of us are working from home. 
we know that, you know, we do things, we're engaged in culture, we're not watching Netflix, we're watching culture, we're watching Americanized production, you know what I mean? The things that people are involved in in their day-to-day life, you know, are really important and they are just as important as, you know, the fine art that you see in a museum. You know, what the 1980s did give us was this idea of community art and, you know, since then we have had the growth of that, what the government calls a sector, the fact that we now have funding that supports multicultural, you know, community art groups and that kind of thing, um, as opposed to just funding, you know, artists to show in museums. I guess the importance today is like to still struggle towards seeing the value in those kind of things, the value in the kind of community projects that we do outside of work. And I mean, in general, just to see our life outside of work is something that we can draw meaning from. I mean, I'm not particularly attracted to the word art here. I think I'm just talking about culture in general and how we um, think of our engagement in the world as as one that can be meaningful. You know, and that does go into things like film and TV and what we might call popular media, what kind of books we read, what kind of articles we read, that kind of thing. So it's really just a value in, I guess, identity um, outside of the workplace as well as inside of it. Well, one of the things about that collection of films, and you say you're cur- curating uh, more films over time, is that uh, it places unionists and the role of uh, workers who are fighting for uh, better wages and conditions in a uh, struggle in the context of their ordinary lives in a completely different light than the mainstream. Because if you ever have a unionist or someone of that sort in a film, it's generally uh, not from the, uh, a positive point of view. In fact, I'll tell you something very um, fun, mm, funny. Mm, um, I was watching a, uh, a shoot em, shoot 'em up sort of film with uh, Schwarzenegger in it the other day, and it was, must have been made in the 80s, I think. Because uh, two of his uh, mates, oh, the people who help him out, who go down to the walls and um, do the fighting against the bad guys, uh, the corrupt policemen and the uh, Russians mm. in the ship, uh, they make a crack about uh, unionists saying, they go to the thing and say, oh, you can't load these ships without union labour. You can't diss the union. And I thought, wow, I've never seen anything like that in an American movie, especially not these days. No, and I mean, even um, recently with the Martin Scorsese um, film, um, The Irishman, you know, this is full of sort of, uh, you know, of course it is documenting the sort of corrupt right-wing Side of the American labor movement, but it, it, you don't come away with any anything positive about the labor movement there. Um, although I will point towards like Ken Loach's films, um, who did the wonderful um, Bread and Roses, which was set in Los Angeles, which is about um, organizing um, immigrant Latino workers. Um, and that film is, you know, I mean, his films in general are, are very positive and working class in. Um, in, in their um, perspective, that film is possibly one of the the, the greatest sort of Hollywood um, views on you know even just the role of the organizer in that kind of way. Oh yeah, and there's the famous Sally Fields film about the young woman who 
who fights mm. back. Um, generally, there's not a contextualization of the power relations between the workers and the um, the uh, the boss. You know, so there's a, the concept that there is a a marriage made in heaven between the uh, lowest paid workers and the bosses of major corporations. In fact, you know, as if they agree with each other tacitly that this is how the real world operates. Mm. No, completely. <laughs> Which is nice. And tell us a little bit about the the uh, future uh, program that you're going to do. You're going to do because John uh, John Hughes is a local filmmaker, well known. Some further films by John, which will be shown his film about the um, Waterside Workers Film Unit, which was an important precedent in the. I guess, um, filmmaking from a working class perspective, which was completely um, funded by the um, Waterside Workers Federation. And of course, Pat Fisk's film as well. Some of the things that we did have coming up, which um, have been moved um, aside due to the virus, was actually an exhibition by Aboriginal Queensland artist Gordon Hookey, who's a painter and quite well known. Uh, Gordon has been painting um, banners mostly f uh, for the purpose of Invasion Day each year and uh we had been planning on and still plan in the future to exhibit um, some banners um, painted by Gordon Hookey, who's a fantastic artist. That's it for Showreel this week. But before I go, I'll let you into something that um, the Writers Guild and a couple of other um, members of the uh, uh, Moving Image community has been putting up what Australia's most binge-worthy homegrown film or TV show is what they're asking. They want you to vote. They want you to go to greataustralianbinge.com and make a vote. Uh, and it gives the Australian public the chance to vote online for the Australian film or show they've loved watching in lockdown and sign a petition calling on Arts Minister Paul Fletcher to do more to support the people who make the entertainment Australians love. Now, this could be, as they say, anything, you know, an awesome series, a web series, a, um, too, too bad it's good reality TV or an Australian film, a kids' favourite TV show... Uh, Kath and Kim, anything, they would love you to go online and put your name to the petition to support the Australian arts community. That's the greataustralianbinge.com. I'll be here with you next week. Hope you're okay. Keep safe. Uh, signing off from uh, Showreel. <laughs>
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.